not sure how to follow that. <laughs> to be a follower of Jesus every day, not only on Sunday. So that was good. Thank you for sharing that with us. A uh, couple of things, one of housekeeping things before we jump into it this morning. Um, Alabaster, we're talking about 75 years that it's been going is pretty amazing. Uh, one of the neat things, uh, Miss Kay found some, um, some, a folder of quarters, like a quarter slots. That's where they were talking about quarters. You can get one of those and fill that up. It's kind of a fun thing to do with the kids, you know, because quarters are real money, um, like Shannon was saying. So uh, not a lot of money anymore. Uh, you know, quarter used to buy a lot more than it does today, but still, it is. And then uh, I've got a very exciting announcement to make today. We're finally able to, um, we've been working behind the scenes for some time trying to bring this vision and dream to reality. But um, you guys all know we partner with, um, Up, I almost said Uplift. We do, we are, a mini we have a ministry called Uplift, but uh, we partner with um, Rescue Hill. Rescue Hill, who is a human trafficking organization and um, do great works, uh, started as a emergency bed, uh, emergency operation where girls who were coming out of having been trafficked would go to this place and um, just some limitations on that, they were able to go up to 48 hours as a place of rescue. Um, and then through God's grace, man, that it was able to bring on another thing that we call the Starla House that actually is in Irving and they can stay up to 90 days in the Starla House. So that's pretty amazing and are doing really good work there. Well, in the middle of all of that, Rescue Hill was also a, a church plant and with the growth of Rescue Hill, the organization that's doing all of the human trafficking, the church plant kind of began to wane. And so they have asked, and I, I've talked with uh, our district superintendent, Dr. Downs, began, and I began to put a team together. They have asked for us to relaunch um, the Rescue Hill Church, Rescue Hill International, we call it. And uh, had a board meeting this last week, and the board agreed that our church is going to help relaunch the Rescue Hill Church. So I'm um, very excited about that. And the team we've put together has... Um, Lucas as going to be heading that kind of the lead if you will um, a campus pastor maybe so Rescue Hill will almost become like a, a satellite of our church so just want to let you know that that's going on I, I'm very excited about it our, our staff has visited and uh, kind of making plans on what that's going to work look like it's going to start on a Saturday night so if any of you ever interested about what's going on over there then on a Saturday night um, feel free to go over there and check it out six o'clock uh, we can make we'll make the address available as we do that it's going to be just having meetings on Saturday night for a time Gabby's going to lead worship um, and there's several others that are going to be involved in that but then eventually as the church grows uh, it'll you know, that's how these things work. When you have a, they call it a daughter church. And as that daughter church grows and begins to come into her own, then they will be able to have services on Sunday and all that. But anyway, it's very exciting news. And I'm uh, happy that we can be involved in that and able to do that, that we have some of the people around that are willing to be on that team to help make that go. Um, so our church, man, while we're not 
a mega church, we're doing good work. We've got a lot of uh, ministry opportunities that are going around and our um, Brazilian ministry that's meeting here and the Hispanic ministry, both we're doing interpretation this morning, by the way. Uh, make sure that if you know somebody from Brazil, everybody thinks of Portuguese, thinks of Brazil, but um, there's other Portuguese speaking places but if somebody speaks Portuguese invite them especially from Brazil let them know that we do that and also the uh, Hispanic translation and then you can get on um, the listen everywhere app just look for the listen everywhere app and I've actually some of you have come and told me some of you English speakers and said hey I just got on just to see what it's like um, so feel free to do that if you like but um, now I know what's going to happen is you're going to be wearing your earbuds during the service and you're going to be like, no, 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 I'm listening to the service in Spanish or Portuguese. But, all right, y'all are a quiet group this morning. Everybody okay today? Are you happy to be here? <laughs> good, because it's been a really, really good day of worship. A really good day. And starting uh, this, or this coming Thursday is going to be a good time of prayer. I got to tell you that prayer has become so good on Thursday nights so I would invite you to come and join us for the Thursday night prayer as well all right well today we're starting a whole new series of messages a whole new series and uh, the kingdom of God is what we're going to be talking about now if you've been coming to this church for any length of time um, a lot of what I talk about today is going to probably sound very familiar because I have for uh, some time been engaged with and enthralled by that's a good word right enthralled by the kingdom of God like I just I, I have become enamored with it because the way I grew up understanding the kingdom of God and then the way I understand it now are are different and it's almost like I discovered something that was so new and so fresh so uh we're going to be spending the next several weeks talking about that we're going to take a pause kind of in the middle of that for our time of revival and I'm going to say that the revival time is going to be is not as much revival some of us have in our minds a revival speaker coming in that you know spits when they preach and uh, kind of a hellfire kind of a thing what's actually uh, Chad Seabright he's coming and we haven't had him before but uh, he was trained by somebody that I respect very much Stephen Manley and Dr. Manley really uh, raised Chad up and Chad has a heart for prayer and his entire emphasis is going to be teaching us prayer and how to pray. It's going to be engaged in prayer, practicing prayer, and uh, so it's going to be really good. But uh, as we move along here, I don't know if any of you guys keep up with football at all. Anybody, any football people here? Um, so college football, um, some of you maybe heard last, the end of last season that the um, Colorado Buffaloes hired a new head coach. Right, some of you hear that? Deion Sanders. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got a fan. Uh, former Cowboys, also San Francisco 49, I don't know, we'll leave that alone. Atlanta Falcons. Um, but Deion Sanders, so he became the head coach of Colorado. It's very interesting because last season they won one game is all. Did y'all know that? Only won one game. You have to go all the way back to 1990 in the early 90s when they were still good and coach Bill was a Bill Mc, McCartney is that right was the coach at that time they won a national title it was actually a split but we won't hold on to that but it was like the the heyday for Colorado won a national title stadium was full fast forward 25 years 
the last five or six years, they almost couldn't sell, give tickets away. Nobody wanted to come to the games. People weren't coming anymore until now. With Deion Sanders at the coach. Now, last night they just, I couldn't stay up and watch it. I was watching some of it. It got too late for me. They won a squeaker. Three games. They've already won more in their first three games. have won more games than they won all of last season. The reason I'm telling you that is because it's a, it's a difference between kind of being the home team and not. You know, there's this, there's, we all have this idea in our minds of what the good old days were, right? Man, those were the days. Some of you think that? Those were the days. I, I try to remind myself that today we are living somebody else's good old days. Never forget that. But, you know, my good old days, whenever they were, whatever was happening, whatever, the good old days. That's when things were going good. And you know we were the home team and we were now I don't know if you ever looked at this but the church kind of has a similar pattern there was the good old days of the church when everybody was going to church and it was like the church was the home team and all the church had to do was build a building and open its doors and people would go to church but those days have changed the church isn't the home team anymore and people are not just going to church. And honestly, I'm not sure what's happened in the last couple of decades, but it's almost like we are now the visitors. We're entering into a phase that sociologists and theologians are calling a post-Christian society. Have you heard that term? Post-Christian society. We're actually behind a little bit because many countries in Europe and Canada have already experienced the post-Christian society. They are in that now. The problem is, is that today people simply don't want to go to church. The statistic is this. 1% of churches in the United States close every year. Doesn't sound like a lot until you think about that being one church every 14 minutes. One church every 14 minutes closes. Um, people just aren't that interested in church anymore. So I, this got me interested. Have you ever done like a, a rabbit trail? You hear something, you're like, man, is that? So you start digging into that more. And that's what I did. And I found out, so according to Gallup, worship attendance has dropped below 50% for the first time since they've been keeping track below 50%. In 1937, the people who attended a worship service of some kind was over 70%. And it stayed there. 37 was the first year that they were tracking. It stayed there until 1984, over 70%. Since 1984, we are down now to under 30%. COVID sped that up, in fact. In, before COVID, from 2016 to 2019, um, on average, 34% of adults said they attended church or a service of some kind. It could have been even Jewish temple or whatever, 34%. So if, when you begin to expand that to all things, not just the Christian church. From 2020 to present, that number, that average has been just under 30%. So just in the last couple of years, we've went down another 4%. Since the turn of the century, and I've got some 
some things on here. Since the turn of the century, the percentage of people with no religious affiliation has doubled. And this is something uh, the- theologians are calling the rise of the nons. So f- baby boomers, 7% to 13% claim no religious affiliation. Uh, gener- Generation X has gone from 11 to 20%. And then 31% of, mill- of millennials have no religious affiliation. And that's up from 22% only a decade ago. So what does this mean for us? It's a lot of numbers to digest. The point is, church has changed. It's just not what it used to be. We need to recognize, and I want to tell you this, and I want you to understand that church and attending church is very important. Church and attending church is very important but why why is it important to attend church people have people argue with me about that but that's what we're going to look at that's the the thrust of this series is to help us understand why church is important we're going to look look at what is it like to be a christian in the year 2023 and what we're going to find is there's a lot of similarities similarities between us in the New Testament church. With these disturbing trends, it's very important for us to think about, to to rethink how we reach other people and how we are God's people today. So here's where I wanna start. I wanna start and I wanna ask the question, what is the gospel? Uh, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Anybody heard of that? Divine Conspiracy. It's a fantastic book. I, I mean, it's, it's probably 20 years old now, but it's a fantastic book, The Divine Conspiracy. I would recommend to all of you, go read his book, Divine Conspiracy. So I, some of the things I'm gonna talk about are found in that book, or th- that book is what kind of lit my fuse here. Um, And one of the questions he asked in that book is what is the gospel? And the way we answer that is you you ever done the thing where somebody says something and you say the first thing that comes to your mind? Play that game with yourself. If I said, what is the gospel? What would you say? If somebody walked up to you randomly and said, hey, tell me what the gospel is. It's It's the good news. You're getting ahead of me. When I was growing up, I would have said, they would have said, what's the gospel? I would have said, hey, I don't have to go to hell when I die. I get to go to heaven. I don't know, how much, does that resonate for any of you? Like that's what you think? I spent a couple of years participating in a program called uh, Dare to Share. I don't even think it's around anymore, Dare to Share. Dare to Share was, uh, at, in its time, it was awesome. <laughs> Okay, it was, I don't want to, I'm not bad-mouthing it at all. But it was kind of a little trickery involved because they would say, hey, we're going to do a big canned food drive. And so I got my youth group and we went on this canned food drive. But before we did, we spent some time at the Dare to Share Conference Center and they trained us how to reach people for Jesus. And what you would do is you would knock on the door and say, hey, we're part of the canned food drive. We're going to deliver food. I mean, and then we got semi-truck loads of food. We got a lot of food to give away. It was amazing. But the primary question that they would have you ask when somebody answered the door, hey, do you have any food? We're doing the food drive. Yes, okay, here's your food. Oh, by the way, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? 
heaven or hell pick right now it was always I was always a little uncomfortable doing that but we were sharing the gospel right we were we were sharing the gospel it was, it was good news that people could go to heaven. And would you believe that doing that, some people got saved? They would say, I don't, whew, I don't know. I don't know where, oh, well, would you like to know how you can be sure? And then we would say the sinner's prayer with them. You know, the word gospel comes from two English words, God and spell, Old English. And those two words mean good and news. God spelled good news, and we have put them together in the New English, Old English and New English, to mean gospel and good news. So what we were sharing with the Dare to Share program was surely good news, that people could go to heaven when they died. And I thank God for that. But I wonder, is that what Jesus had in mind? Because he spoke about the good news very often. I don't know if any of you have paid attention to that, to the good news that Jesus spoke about. And as I dig into this, maybe I forgot almost, we have the notes for today's message in the Bible app. There's a QR code. Maybe you could pop that up real quick. Oh, look at that. And he's good. Uh, if you would like to scan the QR code, it'll get you right to the message notes for today, the scriptures that we are going to jump around to and and all those I'll leave that up for just a second but the question before us is when Jesus talked about the good news and this is what the book the divine conspiracy made me look at when Jesus talked about the good news what was he talking about so let's look at some scripture and see in Mark chapter 1 Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then Jesus chooses his disciples and they adopt a strategy to communicate this message to everyone that they could. In Luke chapter 8, it says this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and, and then Jesus sends his disciples out to proclaim one essential message in Luke chapter 9 it says when Jesus had called the 12 together he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons to cure diseases and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick now if you read the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John you will discover that Jesus spent his whole life talking about one thing one subject the kingdom of God when he was crucified after he was resurrected and when he appeared to his disciples he talked about one thing Acts chapter 1 says after his suffering he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God and then if you go to the very end of Acts, the last glimpse we have of the early church, the last verse in the book of Acts says this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly, without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we need to look at then what is the gospel according to Jesus? Because it seems like they were really obsessed with the kingdom of God. So if we were to say what Jesus' gospel was all about, what would we say? The gospel for Jesus was that the kingdom of God has now become available to ordinary people like you and like me. Now this is a way of speaking that we have been immersed in as church attenders for a long time. But to the people hearing this, this was revolutionary. It was great news for the average person like the tax collector, like sinners, like Gentiles, like prostitutes, like people who thought they were a million miles away from God. Now they are hearing from Jesus that they have access to the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that in his person, the kingdom of God has come down to this earth. Revolutionary, changed everything. But here's the tragic part. Millions of people including us have substituted this gospel for another and here's the substitute gospel the substitute gospel is an obsession with the minimal requirements for getting into heaven what is the least that I have to do how little do I have to do and can still make it into heaven now we don't call it the substitute gospel but for most people it's about missing hell and getting into heaven when they die when I was a kid we had the like the little rascals the he-man woman haters club any of you guys remember that we didn't call it that the little rascals did but that's what it was we had our own little club and we were doing our own little thing and we were riding our bikes and we were, and we were having a great time, man. The He-Man Woman Haters Club. Girls not allowed. We learned later that was dumb. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys ever did this, but I can remember that when somebody would come to the, the door of the bedroom or something and they would knock on the door or uh, if we were out in somebody's one of my friends um, they had a tree house or whatever they had to give the secret word you guys remember that it was a thing like we did it Le this is legit I was gonna say literally me and my kids all say literally everything's literally so the new dad joke is figuratively or literally <laughs> we really did that and it would be some something like um, Hulk Hogan like what's the secret word Hulk Hogan some boy thing you know Hulk Hogan he was real big back in the day in the 80s Whew. Hulk Hogan I think that that's how some of us think about heaven the kingdom of God I think that some of us think that God is waiting on us to knock on the door and, and give the secret passcode answer the question right do the right thing how is it that we're going to be able to get in what's the minimum entrance requirements for me to get into here 
The problem is that Jesus never said he was going to give a secret formula. He never said there were magic words. He never said there was a, a secret or special prayer for these minimum entrance requirements. That's not what Jesus said. Here's what he says. He says, here's the good news. God's kingdom is now accessible to everyone. Take a look at your life and base the way you live on that remarkable truth. That's what Jesus says. But we don't want that. I don't want to base the way I live on the truth that Jesus is inviting me into his kingdom because that means I've got to be good all the time. <laughs> right? That means I've got to always be on. You guys have heard of the introvert extrovert, right? An introvert extrovert sounds like an oxymoron, but they are someone who can, like you see them and they're, woo, they're the life of the party, everything's good, but at some point they turn it off and they're like, man, I'm done. I just need some alone time. That's not the way that this is. This isn't a situation where we get to say, just tell me the secret word and let me get in. Just let me know what it is. What does it take? I'm gonna make it in. Where we're at is God wants us to be on all the time but it's not a put on it is a filled with the spirit life changing who you are is different because he's with you all the time so here's what Jesus gospel includes I think the substitute gospel is part of the gospel but it's not all the gospel Jesus gospel includes forgiveness of sins we're grateful for that it includes the promise that death will not have its last word in our lives Meaning we don't have to go to hell. Here's the good news. God's kingdom is breaking in where you are right now. You've heard this before. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what it means. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Over and over the words are said. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. So what about here and now? The substitute gospel doesn't have much to say about where I am right now. It doesn't speak to how much of a jerk I am or how selfish I am or how much I don't like other people. The, the substitute gospel doesn't talk about that. See, Jesus' mission was more than die on a cross so you could spend eternity with him. That's part of it. Jesus' mission had to do with being a kingdom bringer. Jesus' gospel had to do with both the afterlife and here and now. Jesus' gospel does both. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry so much about everything in all of, all, all of your life, all this stuff. Live for God. Seek the kingdom of God. Make that your primary concern. It's my translation. You've heard, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? Jesus' primary concern was to make sure that the kingdom of God was available to everyone and his purpose was to model that kingdom for all of us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in all he said and did, he modeled the kingdom and that's what he asks of us. We are to extend his kingdom to this world 
everywhere we go. So the part of the problem is that the word kingdom is not something we use anymore. It seems um, archaic. You know, some of you have watched, they have period pieces like King Arthur and all of those things. So we see those things sometimes. So we have an idea, but to help you understand, sociologists call this, we all have a, a, a kingdom. And the way sociologists define it or describe it, it is the range of our effective will. How much do we have control of? The range of our effective will. And our kingdom begins with us, with our body. People figure out very early on that they have a kingdom, right? Look at a two-year-old. What's their first word? No. <laughs> no. Mine everything you know they believe they have a kingdom and they don't let anybody violate their kingdom this happens in cars if you have kids it so happens in my car right now in the back seat I've got a box of books that I've been meaning to take to the book place to donate them I just have a hard time throwing the books away you know so uh and who knows if anybody's ever going to read these books I don't know but it, I put the box and it's been there for like two weeks now and the kids get in the car and the first one that gets in slides the box over because they don't like it being up against them touching them and then the other one gets over and they push the box back and then they get upset because they're pushing the box onto each other right the thing is is we have violated their kingdom it's their kingdom don't mess with me that box doesn't belong in my I don't want that box well I don't want it in mine I don't want it in mine and then I say this is my kingdom and I will pull this kingdom over <laughs> there's nothing wrong with having a kingdom the problem is that sin has junked up our kingdoms Jesus always talking about how hard it is to lead people without violating their domain or their kingdom or their status. And then pe some people will use fear or pressure or coercion to appeal to the wrong thing in somebody to try to lead them. Or you can see how that all, it just gets messed up. So Jesus comes in and he paints a picture of a kingdom and he says, imagine a place where people's kingdoms are not violated where the strong don't violate the weak, where everyone is made powerful in the pursuit of God. So we all have kingdoms and they're all junk, junked up, but then our kingdoms intersect and form bigger kingdoms. There's families and there's schools and there's companies and there's nations and, and Jesus calls this the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of earth, everyone's out for their own good for their own thing, for their own well-being. Then there's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that's the society that Jesus talks about. And the kingdom of God is the sphere where what God says goes, where everything that happens meets with God's approval and his delight, where everything that goes on is exactly the way God designed it, exactly what he wants. And this is most of what Jesus taught is what this community would look like. And he thought that once we figured out what this kingdom of God looked like, that we would be willing to do anything to be a part. Jesus' kingdom is about the outsiders. And it's about the marginalized. And it's about being invited to the party, not excluded from the party. I mean, how does that compare to the kingdom of earth? 
you can read Romans 14 and it says that God's kingdom is not about legalism see for the Jews they it was all about the law and how well they followed the law it was about what they ate and what they drank and what they did on the Sabbath and where they circumcised it, it was all of the rules but the kingdom of God isn't about that it's about peace and it's about joy the kingdom of earth is about the religious stuff and it's, it's about trying to be better than others and it's about trying to achieve righteousness by following the rules the best. Who can follow the rules the best? Well, imagine there's a place where there's no pride and there's no arrogance and, and there's no big shots where people are always looking out for the lonely and for the dejected so they can be celebrated and loved. Imagine that kind of a place where nobody does petty or small-minded things, where there is no gossip and there is no cruelty and there is no fear, where everybody is made strong in a common pursuit of God. The cool thing about this is that kingdom is going on right now. It's actually happening and it's doing pretty good. But then you have the kingdom of earth and things aren't doing good there. Did you know According to the United Nations, 25,000 people die every year. I mean, excuse me, every day. Make sure I get that right. 25,000 people die every day from malnutrition. Just malnutrition. 25,000 people. 10,000 of those are children. Did you know that? Another 5,000 children die every day from preventable diseases and a lack of drinking water. Did you know that the United States, in the United States, we eat enough ice cream in a year that if we took all the money that we ate from that ice cream in one year, we could actually solve that problem? If the United States would abstain from ice cream and instead of buying the ice cream, send it to, I don't know who's gonna manage that fund, but you understand what I'm saying. That amount of money would save 30,000 lives a day. That's the kingdom of earth. That's just what it is. Because no matter how big somebody's heart is or how good they try or how things break. Here's Jesus' plan. He said that when people catch what he's up to, they'll do anything to be a part. We'll talk more about this later, but the kingdom of God, he says, is like a man who found a valuable treasure in a field and the treasure was so valuable he went and buried it and then he sold all he had and he bought the field. Jesus wasn't trying to tell a story about real estate acquisition. He was trying to tell a story about how important the kingdom of God was and what people would be willing to do once they figured it out. They, they'll hawk anything. They'll beg and borrow and steal, do whatever they had just to have it. And we're wrapping up with the Lord's Prayer. How do we know this, by the way? Not only was his gospel like that, but it's even in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You guys all know this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've heard me say this before, may your kingdom, may up there come down here. Let what happens on earth, I mean on heaven, in heaven happen on earth. God, whatever's going on up there right now, 
Can you let that happen right here, right now? And this is what God wants. This is what Jesus came to tell us. This is what the kingdom of God is. Jesus never said, all right, let me teach you how to pray. Here's how you pray. Beam me up, Jesus. Oh, I can't wait for the rapture so I can be shot out of here right before the earth explodes. He said, God, let what happens up there happen down here. And this is Jesus' prayer. How do, how does that happen though? Remember when we just came out of talking about the children of Israel and everything that happened, God asked them to play a part. Like he, he helped them cross the Red Sea, but first they had to come to a place where they had faith that he could do it. And then he, Moses had to stretch out his hand. It, like there, there was work that Moses had to do. Um, he provided the manna for them, but they still had to gather it. He's given us the kingdom, but we still have to bring it. There's a job that we have to do. And see, as we, as his followers, connect with his kingdom, now I live in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is, I'm in it. I don't, there got so many things to say about that, but it goes back to the more I'm filled with the spirit, the more like Jesus I act the more I'm able to impact people around me. Well, that's me bringing the kingdom everywhere we go. My job is to bring the kingdom. My goal is to bring the kingdom. So here it is. God, can you move it? Move up there, down here. Can this happen? Jesus taught his followers to model a new way of life, a, a way in which the kingdom could break into this cold and dark world. And this is what we're gonna talk about for the next several weeks. This has so many implications and we're gonna look at those. The way of life we are called to as Jesus followers is a way that brings the kingdom. And you're going to find that those who have chosen to live this way are some of the most revolutionary people in all of history. So we're going to close with a song. I'm going to invite the band up. This kingdom of God business is radical. There was once a community where people who were far apart came together where the rich shared with the poor where slaves and free people came together where people respected each other this really did happen where racism and sexism and hatred got healed can God do it again can God do it here our mission is to bring the kingdom of God to the world around us not a program not something that sounds nice, not something comfortable, but the kingdom. God, let what goes on up there come down here. And here's what Jesus was counting on. When people find out how amazing this kingdom is, they will do anything to be a part. They will want to be a part because it's in his kingdom where they find love, where people come together where we're not arguing or bickering, 
It's why Jesus could say when somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. Because in the kingdom of God, when somebody hits you, you don't go to blows. We're not gonna have a fight. It's just two different kingdoms. And I think that we get stuck as physical people, bodies, living in this kingdom of earth and it affects us. I heard a statistic just this morning. 12 minutes of prayer a day, takes 12 minutes, literally changes your brain's makeup. They've done studies. 12 minutes. You know, you're always learning. They call it neuroplasty. Your, your, your brain synapse and nerves are firing and changing all the time. Learning and, and as you learn something. This is why when you, when you hear something once, you can hear it again, you can say it, it becomes recognizable. Neuroplasty. 12 minutes a day, they did scans and they saw that 12 minutes, somebody's brain literally changed. This is what God wants. In other words, when Paul says that we need to renew our minds, it's not only filled with the Spirit, it creates a physical change within us so that everywhere we go, we're taking His kingdom. And that's what He wants. And I hope that you will come for the next several weeks and hear some of the things about how this has revolutionized the world we live in today. Let's pray. God, oh man, we're grateful to you for everything that you've done in our lives. Grateful for your kingdom that you have invited us to be a part of it. So I ask now, God, that you would help us to live like we're living in your kingdom, that you would help us to bring your kingdom where we go and our prayer this week is, God, let what goes on up there happen down here. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I hope that uh, you guys think about his kingdom this week. Make that your prayer. God, may what goes on up there happen down here. Um, also, here in a few moments, we're going to transform this room into a place to eat. If you came today and you didn't bring food, let me tell you, I saw what was going on. I was worried we wouldn't have enough power for all the crock pots. <laughs> So we've got a lot of food. If you didn't, please stay and eat. In fact, I made enough to feed probably two other families. Um, myself, a lot of people did that. So uh, feel free to stay. And then um, also don't forget about alabaster offering. Let me say a prayer. Then we're gonna watch this video by way of closing after my prayer. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your kingdom. I pray that you would be with us in all things. Help us to live like we're living in your kingdom. And the food that we eat in a little bit, I just pray that you would bless it and bless our time together of fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. Watch this video and then you're dismissed. Alabaster is celebrating 75 years of global impact. Throughout this anniversary year, you'll see and hear stories of Alabaster's impact from all over the world. Like Coban, Guatemala, the first ever Alabaster church, and countries like Hungary, Korea, Brazil, and Cabo Verde. Some places you'd expect, and some you'd never imagine could be impacted by your Alabaster giving. We will celebrate Alabaster from June 2023 through June 2024, with the goal that every church participate in Alabaster giving.
alabaster, laying foundations for people to worship, heal, and learn.